Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Come on, everyone said? So good. Hey, I've been looking for a new car. I have three children. Joelle is 14, Ethan is 12, and Roman is 4. And if you're like, that's a big gap, yes, it is a big gap. And uh, so we've been looking at maybe getting a bigger car. The car we've got is a little bit small. You know, when we bought the car, we had two kids. It doesn't matter. You know, we've only got two kids. And then number three came along and we're like, oh, we need a bigger car. So our trading post. Can we, can, we, can, we can liven up a bit this morning, yeah? Like, like we, can, we can be responsive, yeah? Does anyone go to the, go on to the trading post? We don't do that anymore, do we? Where do we go to buy a car these days? Online. What website do we go to? Ah, you guys have got it, car sales. And uh, if you go to car sales, use affiliate code BronsonB. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But you go to car sales, and what do you do? Like, you, you're looking at so many things. You're looking at, firstly, what efficiency does it have? What options and features come with the car? And you're comparing that car to other cars, yeah? Like, you're comparing it. You're making down notes. At least that's what I'm doing. Uh, going to be like a better car than the car that I'm currently got? Is it sideways? Is it downgrading? Or whatever it is that we might be doing when we're looking for cars. And so, you know, sometimes, uh, how many, like, I want to see who's, bought the, who's had the most amount of cars in this place today? Who's had five cars? A few people had five cars. Who's had, who's had ten cars? Ten cars. Anyone? There's a couple of people have had ten cars. Who's had 20 cars? Come on, anyone had 20? No, so 10's about it. Okay, that's pretty good. I've only had like about three or four cars, so it's a pretty good effort, guys. But you know what? Sometimes when you buy a car, you don't even just compare it to the car that you've just had or, or something like that or the other cars that you want to buy. Sometimes you even compare it to your friends or family's cars, yeah? It's like, how's my car going to fit in? Like, is it going to be better than my friends or the same amount of thing? And doing those kind of things. Come on, like everyone here is so like, no, Bronson, we don't do that. I know you do it. I know you do it. We're in a series called The Comparison Trap. And we're looking at how ourselves to other people. And if you missed last week, the very first message of the series, the bottom line of that message, and in fact, this whole series, is this statement here. There's no win in comparison. Like there's no win in comparing your life with someone else's life. Repeat it after me. There's no win in comparison. See, we we, we looked at last time how we realized that there's always someone with a bigger er. Yeah, a bigger er, like they're they're rich er, skinny er, smarter, uh, you know, tall er, prettier, happier, litter, gifted er, all these things, they've got more er. and And it can be motivating and inspiring at times, but then at other times when we look at all the er that they've got, it's just like, man, how come they've got so much er, and I've just got er? You know what I mean? Like, that's all that I've got. And, and, and then other times you might feel good because maybe there's some people where, you know, you're more er than they are, and like they're for a season, but what we've realized is that it, it, even that doesn't bring satisfaction or peace. And we ask the question, why is that? Well, it's because there's no win in comparison, there's no win comparing yourself to the people around you, to something out there. There's no win in comparison. In fact, instead of bringing peace that you think it will bring, it brings anxiety. It brings a feeling of uh, uh, you know, discontentment, unfulfilled desires. And so what do we do about it? Is there a solution? 
And last week, I left you with this, this final thought, this final question, which is this, what or who am I going to use as my reference point to tell me I'm okay, that I'm doing all right? Because every one of us, every single one of us, is looking around, looking for someone to tell them you're doing okay. And you may not wake up in the morning and say, I've got to find that person who's telling me I'm doing okay today. But subconsciously, we're all seeking it. It's part of our DNA to feel loved and accepted. For someone to come to say, hey, you know what? You're doing, doing in your life. You're great. You're, you're, you know, you're someone worth looking up to. You're someone worth following. You're a great boss. You're a great employee. You're a great dad or a mom or you're an amazing child. We're all looking for someone to speak that into our lives. So for you, you know, who is that person? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling or a friend from uni. Maybe it could be a manager at work, your partner or something along those lines. If they just said to them, you're awesome, saying, I wonder if I have what it takes. I wonder if I'm making the grade. I wonder if she will always love me. I wonder if he will always love me. I wonder if... This is how my life is. I view me. All these things that we're saying in the back of our mind, I wonder how I'm doing. Here's the good news. Here's the good news today. But it also offers a reason, a solution of where that comes from. So Christianity can explain why we think that, why we have those thoughts of I wonder. But it doesn't just leave us in the place of I wonder. It can also tell us why we think those things and offers a solution of what or who we should look to to find out, to figure out how we're doing in life, to find out who we are. And so today we're going to read a passage of Scripture from the Bible. It's in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bible, you can read it or you can see it on the screen behind me. And this is a letter wrote, written by Paul to a bunch of Christians in a place called Galatia in the early church, first century church. And it's um, speaking to them, address, addressing the issues of what or who am I to look to to discover that question of how am I doing. And it gives a big clue of how we can get out of the comparison trap. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, it says this, But when the set time had fully come, God, his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. You were born, I was born under the law. Say that with me, under the law. We were born under the law. What, and what does that mean? What that means is that we're accountable to the law of God. We're accountable to the law of God that we find in the Old Testament. We're accountable to the law of God that we find in the New Testament. But not only that, there is a part of something inside of us. There is a law of God that is revealed in our hearts. And so there's this, portion of our, there's this portion of us that says or that knows that from time to time says something like this, I ought to or I ought not to. It's something that says, you know, people ought to do this or people ought not to do that. There's this thing inside of us, this universal sense of ought that is inside of us, which is the law of God inside of us men and women today. And maybe you've never stopped to think about you thought to yourself, well, that comes because, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, or that comes because I was brought up in the West, or that comes because of my family upbringing. And yes, 
It could quite possibly be those things. But I believe, and Scripture tells us, that it actually comes from this law of God that is written in our hearts. It's the reason there's a sort sense of ought or ought not in you and me. See, it's that thing that happens. Remember last week I was talked about how sometimes someone has talked to us on the phone and something amazing is happening in their life. Like little Johnny has just scripted another grade at school and on the phone you're like, oh, that's awesome. That's so good, little Johnny. But inside you're like, oh, man, I can't stand little Johnny. You know, it's that part inside of you that says, I ought not to think like that. You know, that's that part, that law of God inside you. See, being under the law means there's enough of God's law written in your heart that you know there's something wrong. You know that there's something wrong. Like, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't think that type of way. Or, or there's, there's areas of my life where I ought to be doing these kinds of things. There's something wrong with us. And we can defend it. We can cover it up. You know, we can put the makeup on or we can put the facade up. We can smile, do all those things, exercise, learn to be nice. But we know at the end of the day, there's something inside of us that it's just not right. It's just not right. And in trying to figure this out and to fix ourselves, you know what we do? We look to the left. We look to the right. We look to the world around us, we look to the people we know, and we compare ourselves to them, and we think to ourselves, if I have this, if I do that, if I accomplish more in my life, then, then I'll find inside me that maybe people will look at me and say, you know what, you're all right, you're okay, and this ought that I have inside of me, maybe it'll feel better, and this will be able to fix this brokenness that I'm experiencing inside of me. Then we realize, and I said this last week, all right, you know the person that you're looking up to, that person who you think has it all together, we realize and we discover that that person themselves is looking at someone else as well because I don't think they have it all together. They don't think they've made it. They're comparing themselves to someone else. They don't think they're all right. See, more accomplished, more staff, more, pop, more popularity, more famous, more wealth, more, better kids, better school, I don't know, whiter teeth. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what you're looking for, you'll never find it in those places. Every person at the end of the day is thinking to themselves, I wonder if I am okay. And it means this. If you had underline, you would still wonder. If you had underline, that thing that you'd be better, I would be okay. No, what we find is if you had that, you would still, if you had more your kids or more fame, if you had more people you look up to, they still wonder. And those people who you think, I've got more earth than them, they, they still wonder as our, we're, well, we're all still wondering. See, the problem isn't that you haven't achieved something. The problem isn't that you don't. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. And Paul, big enough, there's no creator slash creation. Creator slash creation. See, when you were born, you were born into a broken relationship with your creator. When you were born, you see, there's this break between creator and creation. And this is hard to describe. And it's hard to put into words. And hopefully you can, you know, sort of like grab a hold of it. Hopefully God's spirit might be speaking to you right now. But there's this thing that because of this break between you and your creator, 
there is an insecurity in your life, in your very core, in the very insides of you, in your soul, that is not only in you and me, it is in all of humanity. All of mankind is in the very core of our soul. And that's why no matter what we have, what we do, come on, is this speaking to anyone today? Can anyone relate today? No matter what we do, you know, what we have, accomplishments that we, accomplishments that we make, we never feel like we're okay. We never feel like we're there. We never. So today, if we really understood the depths of the brokenness between God and our, between us and God, our Creator, we'd start to realize that the problem isn't out there. Get stuff or be something. The problem is in here, inside our hearts. We would realize it's actually inside of us. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 again. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. This is huge. This is huge. Through Jesus Christ, God has done something amazing for every person born under the law. A Jew or Gentile. Believer or unbeliever, religious or, or, or non-religious, every person at the set time, God sends his son Jesus to do something to redeem the world. And redeem is, is like a transaction financial term. What it means is it means to buy back, to buy back something. So Jesus came to buy back something. You know, it, it means to regain unattached. And at the right time, God sends Jesus to buy us back under the law. Those who know that there's something not right with ourselves. Jesus comes to buy us back at the right time. Jesus comes in the world. Redeem. Uh, redeem. Redeems us. But you know, the thing is, it's kind of like a financial term. It's not a very personal term. It's not a very relational term. Just Jesus come to buy back. You know, in the Old Testament, people would redeem things, but it was very transactional. But Paul says it doesn't stop there. So good, verse 5, to redeem those under the law that they might receive what? Adoption to sonship. To redeem those under the law that they might receive adoption to sonship. See, Paul says that when God sent Jesus to the world, the goal wasn't just to say, you're forgiven of your sins. The goal wasn't only to say you can now have relationship with the Father. The goal wasn't all only just to with God. Those weren't the only goals in Jesus coming to redeem us. See, Paul says it's bigger. You know, it wasn't only just only so we could go to heaven. All those things are great. All those things we have received. But Paul says it was something more, something bigger. When God sent His Son into the world, He made it possible for you and me to be, called, uh, to be called sons and daughters of God. And Paul uses a very intentional word here. He uses the word adopted. He uses the word adopted. The, the Jewish language had no word for adoption. So what Paul does is he dips into the Greek and Roman language of the time and he uses the word adoption. And adoption in those times is different than how we think of adoption today. See, for the Greeks and Romans, when they heard adoption, they didn't think about babies. If we talk about adoption today, we generally think about babies, young children, maybe teenagers. Yeah, that's what we think about. But they didn't think about that. What they actually thought about, get this, adults. Adults in the 
time of that time, the people that were adopted were adults. Babies were expensive to raise. Babies died. Like Life expectancy was very difficult. So they didn't think about adopting babies. They thought about adopting adults. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur. Maybe I'm revealing my age. But in Ben-Hur, we see that the character of the movie, Ben-Hur, he gets adopted. At what age? He's an adult. Gets adopted by a Roman, you know, um, governor or, or general in an army. He's an adult. So that's what happens. See, the Galatians, when they're reading this letter from Paul, they get this. So they hear Paul saying this. Hey, God, who knows you as an adult, who knows all your past, who knows all the things in your life, all the sin, all the areas where you don't measure up, everything about you. God who knows you like that, not as a sweet, precious, beautiful, the adult that you are. In spite of all this, he sent his son, Jesus, because he wants to adopt you. So no matter what the junk is that you have in life or the talent or the lack of talent or the connections or the lack of connections you have in your life, Jesus says and God says, I'm making it possible for you to be adopted into my family. I'm making it possible for you to be my son, for you to be my daughter today as you receive Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing. Like like in adoptions, generally you want to adopt a child as young as you can so that you can bring that child up how you want to bring them up. Yeah? Is that right? You want to bring them up, you know, because you know, if they're 10 or 15, they might have all kinds of ways they've been brought up. You know, I want to make sure they, they, they you know, understand how I want them to behave as a child. But God says, hey, I don't want you when you're brand new. When you're, when, you know, he says, I want you just as you are right now as an adult so I can adopt you into my family. I think it's amazing that God would do that. See, it's not going to heaven. You're, you know, you're a Christian. You can become a better person. It's far more relational than that. You're a child of your creator. The creator-creation relationship God wants to restore. It was broken, but in Christ, it's been restored. Then Paul says this, verse 6, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's another word that Paul has chosen intentionally, deliberately here, to use this word, Abba, Father. It's a more intimate, more deeper more relationship term than just the word father by itself. It speaks of a, a loving, healthy relationship between a father and a child. It's not based on position or bloodlines, but it's based on the deep love that they have for each other. Abba, Father. And Paul uses the word Abba because it's actually the word that Jesus uses when he refers to God the Father. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he cries, It's cut from me. This Christ that I'm going to, but not my will. That deep relationship, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Abba, Father. It's, it's, it's Jesus referring to an intimate, loving relationship with God the Father. A love reciprocated by God and a love now shown and given to Abba, Father, by us Christians because we love him and because we've been adopted as his sons and daughters. And this is so important. For us to grab a hold of, you might be wondering, you know, where, where are we going with this, with this thought? But this is so important for us to grab a hold of. Because if you would move that thought from the scriptures in the Bible, from the words in the Bible, or from the words on the screen, if you would move it from there, like that theoretical knowledge, if you would move it past your brain, bring it down into your heart, I think that it could make a powerful change 
in your life. If the kids could come, uh, that'd be great. I remember when each one of my three children uh, were born and just an amazing experience. You know, they're, they're born into this world and uh, they're so small and senseless and, and just, just so amazing. You know, any parents here today, how amazing is it when your children are born, just those precious uh, little humans? And, uh, you know, in the early days after their birth, um, I don't, I remember saying, man, you know, telling my daughter, Joelle, you're so beautiful. Dad loves you. Uh, I think back then, I, it's Papa, Papa loves you. You know, I remember telling her those kinds of things. And never once did it slip through my mind, oh man, I wish, you know, um, Jack's just had a baby with his wife as well. And Jack's baby is so much more beautiful than my baby. And I wish my baby looked like Jack's baby. You know, like never once did that go through my mind. Like it never once went through my mind to compare my child to someone else's baby like do parents get what I'm talking about like you never did that like you never did that you never compared your newborn baby to another baby you know good parents don't compare their children to other babies you know like who do perfect parents compare their children to themselves who do perfect children like nobody perfect parents compare their children to nobody so let me let me ask you this question let me, let me ask you this question. Who does your heavenly father compare you to? Like, come on, like this is the crux of it. This is like all the comparison, all the comparing, trying to figure out, am I good enough? Have I got what it takes? Who does your heavenly father compare you to? You know, if, as parents, we don't compare our beautiful newborn children to other children. How much more does your heavenly father, who is perfect in every way, how much more does he not compare you to any person, the person sitting next to you? He doesn't compare you to you. Who does he compare you to? Nobody. So based on that, whose estimation should you use to evaluate yourself? To estimate yourself, whether you're making it, whether you've got it, what it takes, whether you arrive, whether whatever it is. Whose estimation should you use? Like, should you be using the person next to you? Should you be using that family member? Should you be using that Instagram influencer? Should you be using that, that successful business friend that you know? Should you be using them as your comparison or to estimate yourself? Or should you just be looking to your Father and saying, Father God, who? Do you compare me to? And God says, I don't do to anyone. See, as long as we're looking around and comparing ourselves, we're never going to find peace. You're not going to find that satisfaction. You're not going to find that contentment that you think you can find because there's no relief. There's no finish line in comparison. When you get to here, you wake up and discover there's a whole new area of comparison to get involved in, which you shouldn't, but you do. You never get to the finish line. But what if wake up and, I don't know, we get an email from a friend about something amazing that's happening or we see a work colleague who gets promoted in the workplace or, I don't know, someone's achieving their health goals. What instead of being tempted to say, I wish that was me, I wish I was where they were. Uh, instead of comparing yourself to them, what if we stopped ourselves? Comparison, God, like Lord Jesus, bring me to that place. There's no win in comparison. And we just said, Father God, I'm going to look to you for my clue. I'm going to look to you, Abba Father. I want to say to you, God, help me to see me as you see me. 
God, I see a certain person in the mirror, but I want to let you to know today, God doesn't see you how you see yourself. You know, like you might have the most, maybe you're, maybe you're blessed, you have the most confidence in the world. But can I just say, God sees even something more different than what you see. You might have, you know, self-esteem issues. You might say this and that, and I'm not that. Can I just tell you, God doesn't see you how you see you. He sees you through the eyes of Jesus who died on the cross. He sees you as someone unique and beautiful. And just like the beautiful child when it's born, we compare it to no one. God sees you and says, I don't compare you to anyone. I love you. I sent Jesus. I paid the for you. Don't compare yourself. Take your clue for me because I would I think God would actually say this you're fine because you're mine you're fine because you're mine don't get me wrong don't get me wrong he, he would also say you know there's some things in your life and we're going to work those things out you know there's some things that you're doing and I want to help you to have victory over those areas there's some areas where you need to yield your life to the Holy Spirit to be obedient to him and things like this but I want you to know that when I look at you, I love you. I think that you're fine because you're mine. And if you have any place to look to, to see whether you're making it, to see if you're acceptable or loved, to see if you are you know, have value or worth, you should look to me. Look right here. Lift your eyes up. Look right here to God the Father and look to me. How might that change things? I wonder, how might that change things? If you look in the mirror tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? There's things God wants to do in my life, but I'm fine because I'm a child of Jesus Christ. I don't have to be doing what everyone else is. right where God wants me. How might that change things? See, it all boils down to this. As simple as this. Take your cue about you from the one who made you, loves you, and redeemed you. Take your cue from the one who made you, loves you, and redeemed you. Smartest man to ever live other than Jesus. He said this, Proverbs 14, 30, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Comparison, it comes from a place of envy. And he says it rots the bones. It rots the bones. But the contrast to envy that rots the bones is peace that gives life to your body. I don't know if there's anyone here today, but I want peace that gives life to my body, that brings life into my soul and my spirit. Did you know the greatest place where you will find peace in your heart is found in the will of God? The greatest place to find the peace of God is a heart found in the will of God. The greatest satisfaction, the greatest feeling of this is right where I should be is found in the will of God. When you're right where He wants you to be, not comparing yourselves to others or taking your cues about yourself, but taking them from God. See, it's peace when you do well. Who knows it's easy to have peace when you're doing well. It's also peace when you're not doing well. It's peace when you're having victory in your life. It's peace when you find those moments where God, I just can't seem to look up. I'm just looking down. It's peace when healthy. It's peace when you're sick. It's peace when the relationships are going great. It's peace when there's, you know, struggles in relationships. It's peace when there's money in the bank account. It's peace when there's no money in the bank account. It's peace when, you know, you make the team. It's peace when you don't make the team. It's peace when you do, when you don't. It's peace no matter what you do, where you are, what's going on. It is peace that you find. Peace when the scales say, well done. Peace when the scales say, Oh, you've got a bit more work to do. Peace. 
doesn't matter who you are today. Can I just say, maybe you're here today and maybe you don't know about God. Maybe this is your first time in church. Can I say, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, what you believe, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you'll never find the peace that you're looking for, the satisfaction, the contentment that that you are looking for anywhere but in the eyes of your heavenly Father. Abba, Father, you will find it there in that place as you look to Him, as you open your eyes to Him. See, it's His estimation of you. It's so much more important than anything else, than any other body's estimation combined. Envy rots the bones, peace gives life, and peace is found in the will and the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Scriptures.